You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, everyone. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And we're both working with schmancy fancy mics today. Yeah, let's see if uh, we can notice a difference. Yeah, hopefully so. (laughs) (laughs) We're on episode number 43. So today we're going to be talking about Basque. Finally. Finally. It's here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk about Basque. We're going to start off with a little introduction to the Basque culture. And then we want to look into why Basque is so interesting as a language. And then finally, we're going to get really nerdy and talk about the language's structure. Woo! Yeah, Yeah, this is going to be a little bit, a little heady, I guess. Yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) But then we have a Lost in Translation moment from Mac. Thank you so much, Mac, for sending us your Lost in Translation moment. Yay! Yeah! Yay, thank you. So we had a comment uh, about our last episode from Patty. She said, just listen to diet restrictions. A friend who is severely allergic to oysters said no oyster has ever been near oyster sauce so she can eat it. So that's really good to know. <laughs> yes. Uh, I wonder if you could have eaten kimchi. <laughs> I don't know. Like, why is it called oyster sauce then? Yeah, I have no idea. Okay. Well, that's really good to know. Yeah. Fascinating. And- Yeah, so if you have a shellfish allergy or something and you weren't aware of that, there you go. Yeah, still be careful. Don't take our advice. (laughs) Yeah. We also had another comment from my friend Will on travel scams. And if you go back to our travel scams episode, I believe it was in the teens somewhere. I've lost count now. But he got scammed the way that we talked about in China. So in China, a very common scam is one in which a pretty girl will come up to you in an airport or a place with a lot of tourists or, you know, people who come to you in general saying, I want to practice my English. And he said there were these people who came up to him. They weren't like particularly attractive or anything, but he said he was actually kind of annoyed by them at first. But then... They were so nice, and they were like, oh, I just really want to practice my English. Or that's kind of the impression they gave, you know? Mm -hmm. So they took him to this tea house, and the tea house was run by a family, and they were sitting at a table, and they talked for an hour, like, about our lives. And he felt like it was interesting, but he kind of felt like he was doing them a favor, you know, by Mm -hmm. practicing their English. But they had tea and snacks and a tiny glass of wine, and the bill was 1,400 RMB, which is about $220. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And they offered to split it with him. How generous. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, what do you do in that situation? They went to an ATM, and the owner followed him to the ATM machine, and he took out the money and paid. And they were, like, really confused. They acted really confused that he was so angry. That's so – oh, man, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah, it could have been way worse, but it's like, when it it happens, it's like that sinking feeling like, ugh, I've been scammed. Yeah, I think the person we talked about in the episode had been charged like $700, you know, like the equivalent of $700. Yeah. 
So, yeah, it could be worse, but still, that's not a good feeling, and that's not what you want to have happen to you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But the more we travel, the more we learn. Yeah. (laughs) I was talking to him about it, and he was like, there are a lot of scams in that episode that I did not know about, and I travel a lot, so I want to go back and listen to that episode, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I think I've forgotten a lot for the next time I travel. (laughs) Yeah, be aware. Yeah. Yeah, so, Will, sorry that happened to you. Yeah. Hopefully someone listening might learn from your experience and try to avoid that. Exactly, yeah. So, we have some language news today. It is on catering lingo. So, this is just kind of a a silly language news, but it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I think every profession really has its own lingo, so it's kind of... Its own little world, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of fun to jump into the linguistic part of it. Yeah. So catering is a very fast-paced... Yeah. Um, so it does make sense. Most of these are pretty short ways of communicating longer ideas. Yes. So the first one we have is SVO, which is silent vegetarian option. So this is a dish that is to be substituted when guests request it, but not offered explicitly to everybody. Yeah. Ooh, it says, this can be risky because a particularly attractive SVO can suddenly go viral with more requests than the kitchen can fill. Yeah. And that's definitely happened when I've had the vegetarian option. Uh And people are like, I want that. Like, I don't want the chicken or whatever. I want to have that delicious looking lasagna. Yeah. They're like, uh. This one was interesting. Sandbag, which means to stockpile a food item as insurance against later demand. And it's mostly frowned upon because, you know, it can go cold. It can get kind of gross. Yeah. If you think about like a melted cheese or something after it's been sitting, it gets like that little crusty bit on top and it's like, (laughs) Yeah, true. That's a good word, sandbag. Mm -hmm. Hot box. It says, in New York, a tall aluminum cabinet on casters used to transport food. It can be turned into a makeshift oven with sheet pans and canned fuel. In other cities and restaurants, a hot box is similar to a cabinet but contains an electric heating element. So it's used to transport hot food. Yeah. I would have thought it was uh, something different, maybe. Mm-hmm. Hot box. You might catch my drift. A NOG, hmm. which is an acronym for Not Our Goods. So it's basically when the company gets other things that are returned to them that are from like a party, things like plates or forks that are returned to them that are not theirs. Huh. That's funny that it's such a common occurrence that they've developed a word for it. Yeah. (laughs) Another one we have is fiesta. So this is the work shift. Yeah. That goes to the event and prepares the food there, as opposed to the shifts in the prep kitchen. So the fiesta shift usually pays twice as much as the prep shift, uh, because you have to go there early. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the anti-fiesta, if you have to get there early. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's like a, an ironic name. Yeah. Like, not a party. Yeah, true. So yeah, this is just a few um, words... From the catering lingo. And if you know of lingo from your profession or your 
uh, sector. That would be interesting to look at. Any cool acronyms? Because every profession has their language that's used specifically their jargon yeah if you've ever waited tables or worked in a restaurant you probably have heard the term 86 i don't know why they choose that but 86 means it's not available anymore yeah or remove it right 86 the onions oh yeah 86 the onions yeah that's true if you are in marketing or work in the ngo world it'd be interesting to hear what your trade specific jargon is yeah definitely okay so let's talk about basque yeah so where is the basque country okay so the basque country actually straddles two countries the basque area it straddles the pyrenees mountains of france and spain northwestern spain yeah mm-hmm. and it's in el país vasco so the Basque Country is a, a province of Spain, and then Navarre, which is another province of Spain. Mm-hmm. I think You've it's heard of, in mm-hmm. Spanish, it's Navarra, no? Or- Navarra, yeah, that must be it. If you've heard of the running of the bulls in Pamplona, that happens in the Basque area. Mm-hmm. In Navarra, right? That's right. Yeah. I talked to a friend of mine who lived in the Basque Country for a long time, I was like, hey, do you have anything to say about the Basque country? And she sent me, like, this whole mess of a Facebook message. So thank you so much, Anne, for all this information that you sent us. Yeah. A few things she said. She really liked it. Like, it's just such a very rich cultural area. They have these really fun traditions, like traditional dancing and clothing and food. Pinchos and Chacoli. Pinchos are the Basque tapas and Chacoli, the regional white wine. Yeah, Pinchos are common throughout Spain, but they are definitely originally from the north. Yeah, I don't know if I had them before. They have what are called like Pinchos bars. They have basically along a counter like a lot of little pieces of bread with different things on top and like a skewer sticking out of the top of it. And you say like, you'll stand at the bar and be like, I want one of those, one of those, one of those. And they hand them to you and you just stand there and eat them. And then you can order more as you go. I think you told me about going to one of those bars before. Yeah, maybe in Salamanca, which is not anywhere near the Basque country. We went to a (laughs) Pinchos bar. And you liked it? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, like everything is very well done usually and... Lots of different options. Mm, very creative. Mm-hmm. A lot of seafood, which makes sense. It's usually by the sea, mm-hmm. but also lots of cheese and stuff like that. Yeah. At least in the maybe not so authentic one that I was in. Okay. Re- most recently. <laughs> That's nice. That sounds mm-hmm. cool. Um, what else did she say? Ah, she said the Basque sports. That's really interesting. There is like wood cutting, stone lifting, pelota, which is actually the national sport of the Basque country, and rowing. Mm-hmm. But wood cutting and stone lifting, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's really traditional. <laughs> yeah. But she also recommended some really beautiful landscape. She said San Sebastian, Donostia, there are beaches and mountains in Urquiola. And La Rioja, historic cities like Guernica and Bilbao. So it sounds like she really, really enjoyed her time there. Cool. Yeah, and Guernica is actually the city 
that Picasso's like really famous work is based on. Mm-hmm. It was something in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very impressive. It's like a whole wall. So her friend recommended this movie. What's it called? Ocho Apellidos Vascos, like eight Basque last names. Mm-hmm. Which, it's a really funny movie that's all kind of about Spanish stereotypes. Huh. And so the girl is Basque and the guy is Andalusian, which could not be more like diametrically opposed, being from the same country, I guess. Uh-huh. It's just all about stereotypes. If you want to get like an idea for stereotypes of Spain and of specifically Basque Country and Andalusia, you should watch that movie because it's the Basque is very, you know, serious, like good with money, traditional, and Andalusia is like, you know, party and mm-hmm. I can't remember at the moment, but yeah, it's it's a funny movie. And they've made a few sequels as well, like oh, really? eight Catalan last names, and I haven't seen any of the sequels, but the first one's really good. Mm. That is really cool that, that you have, like, a feel for the stereotypes around the country. Yeah. That's kind of fun when you when you have a feel for it, and you can sense it when you talk to people, too, in the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And Andalusia, like the South in general, is supposed to be very open and very like, that's where a lot of the Spanish stereotypes that we have outside of Spain come from, like flamenco and things like that. And the Basque country is known for being much more closed off and associating with themselves and not like with outsiders. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Well, let's kind of get into that about why they don't associate with outsiders. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were in a very isolated area for a very long time. Yeah. That wasn't really open to outsiders. So that's why their culture is just so very different and their language is so very different from a lot of stuff that we know. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they have their own national sport called pelota, which is a cross between handball and squash so in basque culture folklore is very important and the myths and legends are still celebrated today so this might be sort of comparable to greek mythology which you know people nowadays don't believe the stories but they're still an important part of the culture Mm -hmm. but it's really very unique because they only have female goddesses and no gods that's so cool That's so different than most Mm -hmm. cultures, especially in most European cultures. Yeah. Or cultures that descend from Europeans as well. Yeah. I mean, some things are very common to be female, like the Mother Earth or something like that, but it was very cool. Yeah. And one of the most important is Mari, the goddess of the Earth, and she can morph into different shapes. And... They also have, like, different mixes of part human, part animal of different animals, I guess, that are common in the area. Half fish, half goat, half cat. Yeah, that's so very different from anything I've heard of, actually. Mm-hmm. I can't get over the fact that they're all female goddesses. Yeah. Who run the world, man? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Another thing about Basque culture is that food plays a huge role. I mean, food plays a huge role in... 
any culture, I would say. Yeah. But there are so many Michelin-starred restaurants, and there are over 1,500 secret gourmet societies dotted through the Basque Country. That is shocking. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. They're called Chocos. Spelled T-X-O-K-O-S. Right. And in Basque, there are a lot of X's and K's and stuff like that. So if you see a word in Spain that you have no idea how to pronounce, it's probably Basque. (laughs) Yeah. Or Catalonian. Um, Yeah. Catalan is, like, a lot more similar to Spanish, though, so you can usually, like, figure it out. But if it's, like, got X's and stuff and it's, like, T-X or... Mm -hmm. True. Something, it's, like, Basque. Euskera. Yeah. Euskera is the Spanish word for Basque. Mm -hmm. Or the Basque language. But traditionally, only men were allowed into these chocos. But today, they allow women into. So on one hand, they're very feminist. (laughs) And on the other hand, only men were allowed into chocos. Yeah, like, ideologically, women had a lot of power. But in real society, it was men, I guess. Which is more similar to other European cultures that have yes. <laughs> only allowed men for centuries. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about the language then, shall we? The language! Yes. This is crazy. Okay. So, Basque is not an Indo-European language. It forms its own language family. So, what is a language family? So, it's basically... Like a group of languages that share a common ancestor. Nice. So the Indo-European family is most European languages. And then there are different categories within that, like Romance or Slavic, uh, Germanic. So all of those are in the Indo-European language family. Mm -hmm. But Basque is not. So it is completely separate. comes from a different ancestor. Nice. Does ancestor work in language? Anyway, whatever. I believe it does, yes. Okay. 27% of people in the Basque country speak Basque as a native language because it was outlawed under Francisco Franco, who was a dictator of Spain until the 70s. And he outlawed all languages except for Spanish. Or Castellano. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But 660,000 people speak Basque as a native language on the Spanish side, and about 50,000 on the French side. But total, there are 2.6 million people in the Basque community. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that some of those who don't speak it as a native language probably speak it though, right? Yeah, this is native speaker level. Right. Okay. There are a lot of language schools in the Basque country for people to learn Basque. That's something that Anne mentioned. I'm trying to like bring it back, basically. Yeah. And it does have a like a strong cultural tie i mean i think people feel really strongly about speaking it i mean that's true for lots of languages especially ones that have been oppressed over the years but people feel very strongly about speaking basque as well as catalan you know yes and both of those regions have movements to become independent from spain so they do feel an identity related to their culture, their language, their identity. They feel it's different than Spanish. Well, and if you go back and listen to our episode on endangered languages, we talk a lot about how people often outlaw languages in order to suppress a people. Or Mm -hmm. not even outlaw, but they make it a burden to learn the language of that community. Like if you think about... Africans who were brought over to the U.S., 
they lost their native tongues very quickly because they uh, were separated from members of their community and it was difficult for them to communicate with people outside of their very small language groups mm-hmm. at the time. And how do you take away power from people? You take away their ability to communicate with each other. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's a really big part of what Franco was trying to do was make everyone speak Castellano, what we call Spanish, Castilian Spanish, as a form of exerting power, really. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And actually, they did the same thing in France. This is not a very widely known thing about France if you're outside Europe, but in the early 20th century, there were still like 30-something languages spoken mm-hmm. in France, and in one fell swoop, they were all done away with in one or two generations. Wow. So I did not know that. Right. I know that my dad's French tutor, his grandmother spoke the native language of Provence, and he wanted to try to learn it because it became outlawed. None of the languages in France have any kind of recognition, including the Basque language. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So, but Basque is officially recognized as a language in Spain. It's one of the five nationally recognized languages in Spain. It's thought to be the last surviving language in Europe before the Indo-European language arrival. So think about how old that means Basque could be. Yeah, <laughs> before, before the Romans. The Romans. Yeah. I mean, God. <sighs> like, I think there's a common sort of narrative that the Romans were kind of like the first, or they were the only civilized culture or something like that. I mean, they did come... And these places weren't empty. They already had people living in them with their own cultures and stuff. But the Roman, yeah. the Romans were very powerful and so... And power hungry, too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also, like, the term barbarians and stuff of people in Germany. Yeah. So there were these groups and these cultures that already existed, but the Roman culture and so civilization was so powerful that... Uh, a lot of them were conquered or were Mm -hmm. changed dramatically by the arrival of the Romans. Yes, but somehow Basque survived. Yeah. Which is really cool. There are theories as to its origin, but a lot of people say that the reason it survived is because it's just not in a very desirable area as far as resources. Right. It's not warm. It's like the Rocky Pyrenees. Yeah. (laughs) They don't have a lot of, like, expensive minerals there. or So, yeah, there are nicer parts of Spain, I guess. Yeah. There are other non-Indo-European languages spoken in the Caucasus region. Uh, so that would be Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Turkey, Russia, in the nearby part of Russia. But Basque is the only one in Western Europe. And they think that it was derived from the Aquitanian language, which was spoken in the Pyrenees region. Okay. Which is an ancient, ancient language. So the Aquitanians were in that region of Europe before the Romans, is that correct? Yes. The Aquitanian language was spoken on both sides of the Western Pyrenees in ancient Aquitaine before the Roman conquest. Okay. That's right. So Aquitaine, not Aquitania. (laughs) It could be Aquitani. The Aquitanians. No, the Aquitanians. Latin is Aquitani. You're good. Aquitana. Aquitani. Okay. 
So another really unique thing about Basque is there are eight dialects, although there are only 700,000 people who really speak it like a native language. Uh, but there are eight dialects, and it's a very small area geographically, yeah. too. <laughs> Sounds like another language we know. Yep. <laughs> Romanche. Yeah. The language of Switzerland. It's a very small area, but there were like five or six dialects and like 400,000 speakers or something. Yeah, and nobody wants to standardize it because they want to use their particular dialect. Right. So it sounds like it's the same thing with Basque. Yeah, there's a lot of pride. So let's talk a little bit about the origin theories Mm -hmm. of Basque. The mainstream theory is that it just kind of like developed on its own from the Aquitanians in the area. It would have been around 16,000 BC that the warmer climate allowed the expansion of these proto-Basque groups or proto-Europeans across northern Africa and along the European continent. Yeah, which is a long time ago. <laughs> Most history that we learn about is maximum like four or 5,000 BC, probably. Mm-hmm. And this is 16,000. It's even hard to conceptualize. It really is, especially since like the majority of the buildings that I see, even in like historic ruins, might be like maximum of 1,500 years old. Right? Yeah. In Asia or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 16,000. It's 10 times as old. It's crazy. So according to a DNA analysis from French and Spanish Basque regions, they have genetic patterns that are different from the surrounding populations in that area, showing that they did actually come from a different place and did not mix as much with people who are living around them and Mm -hmm. which is interesting because often there's mixing but I would guess from that that they haven't yeah I think what I read was that it was usually one way like people would leave but they usually wouldn't have newcomers into the group right so the result is there just wasn't as much DNA mixing Mm -hmm. actually A 2015 DNA analysis indicated that Basques are descendants of Neolithic farmers who mixed with hunters before becoming genetically isolated from the rest of Europe for millennia, and that they are very similar to the Celts and the Welsh and the Irish, but especially the Celts. So that's really interesting. It is. That makes me think they, like, jumped, right? Like, some people stayed and some people jumped Mm. the channel. Ah, that could be. There are two more theories that aren't as mainstream. Some people say that there is a connection between modern Basque and the Iberian language. So what's the Iberian language? So it's basically the language that was spoken on the Iberian Peninsula, which is modern Spain and Portugal, before the arrival of the Romans. Right. But others say that there's not a direct connection between these two. So that theory doesn't hold a lot of water, I guess. And then there's one more theory, it's called the Caucasian origin, and it theorizes that the Basque language and the languages of the Caucasus might have a direct relation. Right, which maybe explains why they have some different linguistic typologies that are not present in other Indo-European languages. Yes. So, let's talk about some of those typologies. Yeah. 
Okay, this is the moment when you should sit down, have some tea or coffee, and try to just absorb it. It's a little bit, it's very linguistic. Yes. For those of you who aren't linguists, and we are not, so here we go. (laughs) But we are fascinated by language, and so we're going to try to explain this in very, very easy terms. So the Basque structure is so crazy, and I had never heard of this before, but along with 25% of the world's languages, it's called an ergative absolutive language. Now don't turn off the podcast, it's going to be okay. English is an accusative language. What the hell does that mean? (laughs) So we have two kinds of verbs. We have an intransitive verb and a transitive verb. An intransitive verb is one in which there is no need for a direct object or an indirect object. So, for example, we have the phrase blossom sleeps. That's an intransitive verb. And blossom, in this case, is the subject. Yes. And then the other kind of verb is a transitive verb. And that is, for example, Alice likes Barbara. Likes is a transitive verb because it gets an object or a patient. And Barbara is the patient. Okay, I'm with you so far. So we have Blossom and Alice are treated the same in both cases. If we changed Blossom and Alice to pronouns they would become she. They would both become she because we're talking about the subject or the agent. Yeah. That is why we call English a nominative accusative language. We would mark the patient of a transitive verb. So we wouldn't say Alice likes Barbara, Alice likes she. We would say Alice likes her. Right. And I guess mark is just another way of saying here, like change. That's right, yes. We indicate something exactly. is different. And so the thing that changes is the object of the transitive verb. Okay. So an ergative absolutive language, what changes is not the object, but rather the agent changes. So she slept is the same. Blossom slept, she slept. That doesn't change. But we wouldn't say she likes her. We would say her likes she. Mm -hmm. So we changed the subject of a transitive verb, which is actually technically called an agent in an Mm -hmm. ergative absolutive language. So in an ergative absolutive language, the object and the subject of an intransitive verb are treated the same, and the agent or the subject of a transitive verb phrase is marked or changed. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so that is, like, the big difference. I think we're clear so far. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, that was the most complicated part, until the other part. But you want to go through (laughs) the other things? Sure. So, Basque has 12 grammatical cases. Ooh, it's so many. Yeah. What is a grammatical case? So a grammatical case is a situation in which a noun is treated differently due to the role it plays in a sentence. So like, I read books. I am one case. Books are another case. I read books to her. I am one case. Books are another case. To her is a third case. Okay. 
And we don't mark our cases in English, so that keeps things nice and easy for English learners. We don't even use the term case in English. I'm explaining the way that I would use them in German. I read the books to the father of her dog. Those are four different cases. Okay. I All right. books father of her dog. Four cases. Okay. So 12 cases. I don't even think that I can imagine what that might look like Yeah, without studying the language. I really don't think that I have the imagination to do that. So, <laughs> Yes, neither do I. I've heard Russian has 16, but I might be wrong about that. I think Polish has a lot too, maybe. Yeah, Polish has a lot of cases. I think Slavic languages are notorious for their cases. Yeah. Luckily, I'm currently studying Chinese, which has very little grammar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a nice break from grammar. Yeah. Another thing about Basque is that it's a subject-object-verb language, as opposed to what we're used to, subject-verb-object in English. Mm -hmm. Subject-object-verb, however, is 45% of the world's languages, so it's not that uncommon. Yeah. Irish is the weird one that we did a long time ago. It's actually verb-subject-object, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and that's only 9% of the world's languages. Yes, 9%. So... This is something that kind of reminded me of Korean. So basically, you kind of add words together into one long word, and it might have different things like articles implied or prepositions. Time indicators. The ergative marker, what we just talked about before. It's an agglutinative language. Korean's agglutinative, Japanese and Turkish are both as well. So, for example... We have a sentence in Basque. Good luck to us pronouncing it. <laughs> yes. Please have mercy. Umea kalian or erorida. So, umea can be subdivided into ume is child and a is the. So, umea is the child. Kale is street. A is the. N is in. So, kalean is in the street. Mm -hmm. So the child in the street, erori is fall, it's completed action, and da is. So the sentence literally translates to child the, street the, in, fall, completed, is. Or the child fell in the street. Yeah. So we have a lot of little words and things that, for example, in English or... Other Indo-European languages are separate words, but they are all squished together to make one long word telling you what the relation of those words is. Yeah. If that makes sense. And one more example, then. Martinek egunkariak erosten diskit. So, Martin is the agent, or the transitive subject. Remember what we said about transitive subjects are treated differently than intransitive. So, e is epenthetic, which just means that it makes saying the combination of syllables easier. So think of like the o in speedometer. And then k is the ergative marker. So, martinek. Instead of martink. Yes, exactly. Martink. <laughs> Egunkari uh, is newspaper. Ak is the plural absolutive direct object case. 
So, egunkariak, together. Erosten is buy, and it's a gerund, so in English we would say buying. D is the auxiliary word used for transitive verbs when there is an ergative and object. And ski, ski, I don't know, sorry. A direct object is plural, and t or da is to me or for me. So, literally, Martin, the newspaper, buying for me. Or <laughs> a better translation would be Martin buys the newspapers for me. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's plural, newspapers. <laughs> yeah, when anytime you directly translate any language, it's going to be kind of funny sounding. But I think it's especially interesting because it is agglutinative like this. And so the words are like squished together. That kind of shows you why direct translations are so goofy sounding though sometimes. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have to learn a whole different grammatical structure, then it's going to be weird if you directly translate it in the same structure. Which is another reason why it takes so long to learn a language. Like, it takes a long time to wrap your brain around certain concepts. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, first wrap your brain around them, then, like, learn the rules for them and the vocabulary and the sounds and then apply it. I mean, it's a miracle that we do it in the first place, let alone for other languages. <laughs> Yeah. That's what we're made to do. So, we have a little clip. So, let's take a little listen to what it sounds like. Opa, egun on, niresena Jonander da, hogeita sortzi dute ditutu. Euskal Herritik nago, nator. Eta, bueno, nire herria getxo deitzen da, Bizkaiko kaustaldean. New Yorkera etorren intxan horren dela, ba, bi urte. Hasiran, oso oso zaia da, eta... Bueno, nire lengo hilabetea oso-oso zaia izan zen. Ez nuen inor ere ez agutzen, kontinente osoan, ez estatu batu betan, Amerika osoan. It sounds a little bit like Spanish, actually. Like, the sounds, I feel like, because they're in the Spanish area, like, I don't know if it has... It sounds like Spanish that I can't understand. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree, like the kind of rolled R's and some sounds, but some sounds sound very different, like chocola, mm -hmm. like that doesn't sound anything like Spanish, like there are a lot more caca, caca sounds. Mm -hmm. True, yeah, but the vowels I think are very similar, and yeah. I think the way he, at least this speaker, and a lot of the speakers I heard otherwise when I was doing the research for this show, like the cadence, you know, da -da 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 you know, it's kind of... And I'm sure that has some influence because I'm pretty sure that most Basque speakers speak Spanish. Right. And so, you know, there's got to be some influence from that, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, I and I wonder if it sounds any different on the French side. Yeah, it might. It might. Mm -hmm. Very well might. But he even used a few Spanish words like bueno and like, mm. you know, kind of filler words. So that True. might be indicative of some Spanish influence. Yeah, a little bit of Spanish mixing there. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that it sounds different. I mean, it has to have evolved, especially after it was outlawed for so many years. Yeah. Uh, so it has to have changed the sound in the past century, let's say. I agree, yeah. Or maybe longer, I don't know, but yeah. 
that definitely had, ha- it had to have had an effect on it, I think. Cool. Well, that was our episode on Basque. Yes. Hopefully you weren't too scared by the grammatical <sighs> structures. I mean, they are scary, but hopefully you weren't too terrified. Yeah. Hopefully we didn't, hopefully we, you didn't immediately unsubscribe to the podcast. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you didn't understand it, that's okay. I barely understood it. And... <laughs> I've looked at it for a while, so. <laughs> yeah, it took me some time. And we will put a link to the video that explains it. This guy did a really great job explaining the grammar. Yeah. He did a much better job than we did because he's actually yeah. a linguist. <laughs> well, and he has the visuals, too. Yeah. It helps if you can, like, look at the structure on the computer and see, oh, okay, so this is what he's saying along with the audio but still i had to pause it and kind of like absorb what he was saying yeah i still definitely don't understand cases as you know as hard as you tried to explain it to me i just don't really get it and i don't really get how there could be 12 but you know (laughs) little by little (laughs) right so if you know any basque or you've been to the Basque Country and you really enjoyed it, or you have something to say about the show, please let us know in the comments section. We would love to hear from you. You can also reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Those are our most commonly used channels. Just go to languagenerdstoearth.com and you can find this episode under the podcast tab, or you could also go to our contact or lost in translation section and send us a little note there and record a voice note. Either one. We're happy to hear from you. Yeah. So we do have a hilarious lesson translation from Max. So excited. So Max sent us a written lost in translation moment. So Rachel shall now read it for you. So he says, The Hebrew word die means enough, as in the Dayanu song at Passover, meaning it would have been enough, but God kept giving us more. A young couple came to Indianapolis from Israel to teach Hebrew for bar and bat mitzvah students. The young couple was shopping in the supermarket when their three-year-old toddler started acting up. The mom, in complete frustration, hissed at her daughter, Die! 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 Until other shoppers started staring at them with horror. (laughs) Oh my god! Die, die, die! Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's so the good! The coincidence is too good to be true. Mm-hmm. Or too bad to be true. I don't know. It's too... It's too perfect, like... <laughs> and, like, you know, it's kind of what you might want to say to a kid who's acting up. <laughs> But she wasn't even saying it. She was saying something completely right. normal. But it looked like it something looked horrifying. Awful. <laughs> I can only imagine what people were thinking. Like this terrible mother. <laughs> Somebody remove her children from her immediately. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Thank you again, Mac. That was wonderful. Yes, thank you so much for that hilarious story. Yes, please send us your Lost in Translation moments. This is my favorite part of the show, probably, is Lost in Translation moments. Yeah, it's awesome when we have them. 
Make sure to send us yours. You can go to the contact section on our website and record your voice or send us an email or a message, however you prefer. The email is languagenerdsdoearth at gmail.com. One more time, languagenerdsdoearth at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. We would love to hear what you have to say about Basque. And make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you can get all of our shows fresh out the oven. I will be out of the country next week. I am going to my grandfather's 90th birthday on a whirlwind trip to the U.S. I'm very excited. So we will be back in about a week and a half. Mm -hmm. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and YouTube from time to time. So make sure you're staying up to date with us there. And make sure you leave us a review on iTunes. The more people review us, the more it can find us. Yeah. And also tell your friends if you know somebody who is interested in language, culture, travel, let them know. Our next episode is going to be about different sports from around the world. So make sure you tune into that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yep. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye. Patrice, you're frozen. We're not communicating. Maybe if I try an Irish accent. No? Still not working? What about Scottish? Hello? Skype? Oh, this is a terrible accent. Wow. Truly awful. I'll call you back. And... Hold on. I'm just watching the recording instead of actually thinking about... <laughs> it is a little distracting. <laughs> just like... <laughs> okay. Um, 27 people... <laughs> Only 27. <laughs>